Talking about the things that make your home service business go. Marketing, finance, systems, people. This is the Fight Club for Business podcast. Makes me that much stronger. Makes me work a little bit harder. Makes me that much wiser. Thanks for making me wiser. Live more financially rewarding lives. I also own a full service accounting firm, so you can outsource those nasty accounting tasks to me and my team if that's not your cup of tea. And I own a window cleaning and gutter cleaning company with my husband, Jeff, and I'm excited to be here with Chris this week. I want to learn more about uh, the bicycles in your promo pictures. Um, We've always said we want to add a route with bicycles here in Davis. so, so, So super exciting. Nice to have you and welcome to Fight Club. Thank you. Awesome. Well... Chris, I'm going to steal you first for the marketing side of Fight Club. And one of the things I absolutely fell in love with on your website is the first, well, I guess it would technically be like the second, you know, subheading on your website. It literally states, what if the 12 year old kid down the block who used to mow lawns for a few bucks grew up and grew up? This is amazing. Like you I are love it. hitting everyone right in the feels, right in the emotion of, oh my gosh, I had that kid. I had that, you know, neighbor down the block that would mow my lawn for me. And like, they did it. Like this person did it and jumped into a business and was able to create it and really build something for himself, his family. So what really drove you to, you know, just go right for the emotional feels on your website with that subheading? <laughs> well, I'll be totally honest with you. So um, I think I think having that type of language would be a lot more common in America. I think you guys are uh, a lot more, you, you tend to go a, lo- a lot more to the extreme. In Canada, we're a little bit more humble and timid. And so originally I was not comfortable with that messaging. Um, really? but we had a copywriter and also, um, I've got a really good leadership team and they were really just pushing, let's, let's tell it, the, tell, tell the story this way. And, um, you know, you can't go from multiple phases in your business where like, I remember, I remember when I was kind of growing up in the business when I started out when I was 12 growing up, I, I didn't used to tell people my age. I was like, you know, I would go to conferences. I remember I went to my first, um, <laughs> service autopilot conference when I was 20. And we were going around to all the bars and stuff. And of course, underage in America, but not in Canada. And uh, (laughs) so I was always like kind of hiding my age. But now that I'm older, I'm a bit more comfortable telling that story. And I'm hoping that that, as you're saying, paints a good story for potential customers, um, but also also, uh, potential employees, which is obviously our biggest kind of marketing push right now. Absolutely. Well, I I have to ask because it is such an ingenious marketing story to go about and do. Have you come across clients that maybe had fallen off from when you were a child mowing, I shouldn't say a child, a a young (laughs) preteen mowing lawns to now being an adult and kind of circled back and been able to find you from this marketing push? Yeah, actually, just yesterday on LinkedIn, I had uh, one of my like original customers from 15 years ago, like reach out and they were like hey we were on your website and they were trying to, like, I'm trying to get more active on linkedin as well um trying to make that one of my kind of personal social networks uh and yeah it was just like wow so glad we were kind of part of your story and 
uh, now we're getting an estimate. So uh, yeah, it's cool. It kind of comes full circle. It does. That's a, that's what I always like. Sometimes you don't really get that full picture, right? From the marketing perspective to get to hear how the story plays out that you're painting for these customers and painting for the business owners you work for. And that is a full circle moment. You had a customer that you worked for 15 years ago, circle back on LinkedIn, be able to find you, be able to see that your story is still in writing and still being told and still actively being added to. And I think that's an amazing, um, amazing tribute to your content team that did push you to be able to kind of go with this, you know, not as common um, marketing kind of strategy in Canada, but they really were able to do it well for you and paint the story to your customers, which I love. Um, so do you, as far as marketing goes, we do have to talk on some of your favorite marketing um, avenues to go down. So Particularly, I want to touch on the, the the plowing side, the snow plowing. So that's a topic we don't really get to talk too much about on the show. And you've definitely got a lot of expertise in that. So as far as snow plowing, where do you kind of, you know, direct your marketing to be able to bring in new clients each season? So a lot of it comes from branding. So we've invested, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people say that, but we've, we've invested a lot in branding. So literally all of our trucks are purple. They're rolling down the road. We've got <laughs> like we're purple. Everything at Mr. Modal, like everybody wears a purple collar. The truck is purple. Um, if we like, we make everything as purple as we can. And basically, the thinking behind that was I woke up uh, one morning, like eight or nine years ago, and our company colors were blue and green. And I was like, that's every other company out there. What, what would be unique? I'm like, all right, let's go purple. So we went purple. And uh, that number one, makes us stand out. So uh, mm -hmm. we're in a very, uh, like we service a very specific area, like I'm sure most people do. Um, but having 10 vehicles bouncing around in that area that are purple and are all marked up are, are incredible. In terms of going after um, snow removal uh, accounts, on the residential side, um, quite honestly, we don't push it too hard because there's only so much capacity that we have. And so we mostly are just taking customers that are our regular summer customers and converting them into that. On the commercial side, um, right now we get most of our stuff, we have, a, we have a salesperson. And so a lot of it's kind of going into account and building out accounts. So we'll go in and get in with a property management company and then we start basically executing what we call like a free by free strategy. So uh, if we get a property manager, we want to get their boss or, you know, normally like a property management company, you'll have like a property manager above the property manager. You're going to have uh, like a VP or someone. So we want to get free people at that level. We want to get free property managers at that company. And then we also mm -hmm. just to kind of secure ourselves on an account, we also want to go in and get um, someone on the board or board president or someone below them, either like a site superintendent. So we're really trying to work our way into accounts. So really it's a more of an account management strategy and an account building strategy than a direct marketing. Um, but obviously going out there doing good work um, and you do good work with one property manager, they kind of bring you around and it kind mm -hmm. of, it grows very rapidly. Absolutely. Well, two things that you mentioned, I want to kind of touch back on. And the first was taking your summer clients, your lawn clients and building up their service book. So what they do with you in the business and by moving them into snowplow in the winter, you're now ex meeting that quota that you said you only have limited capacity for, but 
you're not having to search for new clients. They're already there. So you're able to move them season to season with you and keep them as a client, which is a great tip for business owners that do experience seasons where marketing may be a little bit harder in the winter. You might not be able to put those dollars towards it. So if that's the case, look at your current client book and be able to move those clients into that next season with you by offering a service to them that they can use during that season. And then secondly, sales wise, which is something I absolutely love is making sure that you're working with those property managers. So connecting, not just like Chris said, at the top of the head, you know, the top of the, the pyramid, I should say, <laughs> but working your way down into the lower levels. So that way you have ins at every single section where the decision maker really does kind of come as a community community group when it comes to property management. There's more people involved than just the top of the pyramid. So making sure you're in with those individuals and getting to the right people and the decision makers is very important for that sales process. So I appreciate you taking some time with me, Chris, and sharing your story and sharing your marketing journey with the listeners today. So thank you so much. I'm going to, you talked a little bit of finances towards the end. So it's a kind of a perfect transition for Megan. So I'm going to pass you over to Megan. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, that, this is so fascinating. And there's a couple things I wanted to talk about. I mean, personally, like selfishly, I just want to talk about a bike and running a, a, a okay. route on a bike. Um, but I, I also wanted to talk about well, okay, so I'm gonna give you a menu. We're not gonna have time to talk about all three, but you can choose the one that's most interesting. So the bike, super fascinating. I have more bikes than people in the town I live in. I feel like it would be so awesome to have a tight commercial route on a bike. Um, and it should be an electric bike. Like I feel like we'd save on all this gas. I think for branding and publicity, that would be amazing. Uh, so we can talk about that. Or we can talk about, you mention uh, on your careers page that you do a four-day work week. So I have a feeling that there was a lot of math and thought that went into like creating and designing a four-day work week. Um, and I, I have a feeling it's also very appealing to the people that work for you. So we can talk about that. Or you mentioned casually before we went live that uh, snow removal is way more profitable for you. And so I... I feel like I've been going down this this path lately with uh, home service business owners, and we've been talking about profitability. We've been talking about pricing, and so you get to set your prices and you get to choose. So I'm curious, why is it so much more profitable for you? Um, and is that because of competition? Is that because of what the market will tolerate? Is that because it's just priced better or tighter? Um, so. Those, those are the three things we can talk about. You get to choose one. Which one would you like to go down today? Oh, man. Um, There's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I'm just going to be honest with everybody. I, I come to these things. I like to just tell it as it is. The four-day work week is a great idea. Uh, we are modifying that a little bit. Um, just on a high level, the four-day work week was there um, because we work outside. It's going to rain. And... You know, nobody really wants to work Saturday or Sunday. And so our whole philosophy is that we just shift the work forward a day. We've, to be honest with everybody, we've, we've had a lot of issues having people being available on that Friday. So now mm. we're going to a new kind of like psychology, if you will, of saying we um, work Monday to Friday and don't work weekends, but only book and work four days a week and having that Friday as that day. Um, in terms of things that would be interesting, for everybody, I think snow removal would probably be a good one. Okay, and I was gonna say you can ignore everybody else. Like, what's yeah. interesting to you because you are our target listener, right? Like, you uh, there's somebody out there listening who 
well, I can think of several people who are listening who started their, you know, summer gig in high school that has evolved into a giant company now. So um, let's talk bikes then. You know what? Let's talk bikes. Bikes are interesting. I think for uh, myself and that's kind of something a little bit more innovated. And if you're talking home service, that's probably a lot more kind of applicable. (laughs) Okay. So how did that come about? And, um, and for the people like, I sometimes I'm speaking and they're like, my service area is a hundred miles. And I'm like, okay, well, bikes would not work I'll, for you. Right. But I then tell you, everybody says it's a great idea, but it won't work where I live. I, right. That's every single time I've ever brought up the bikes or um, shared that with anybody. Um, but yeah, we service, like we do service a small area, but we do service all of Toronto. Basically it started when I was uh, 15 years old and couldn't drive. I uh, was kind of getting tired of my parents and my grandma. My grandma used to drive me around in her Sebring. We had the lawnmower sticking out the back. I was like, I need to step this up a level. And I was about to quit actually. And I said, uh, you yeah, know, maybe I could pull something behind my bike. And so I, I found a company that made bike carts and I did that for three or four summers, kind of as I was finishing up high school and my first year of university. Um, and then I got a truck and we kind of started going the truck route, but then we kind of realized, um, that living in a really, we live in a really urban market. Toronto's the fourth largest city in North America. So it's super urban, kind of just behind Los Angeles. Like it goes Mexico City, New York, uh, LA, Toronto. So we're super urban. And the thinking is in urban areas, a lot of people don't have driver's licenses. So we're able to take employees that would work for a landscape company and kind of, they kind of hit that ceiling because they don't have a driver's license. So they're working on a crew for five, six years. They can't get any higher. They can't make any more money. And on top of it, kind of in the landscape industry, the guy who drives becomes, or the person who drives becomes a crew leader. So quite often these people end up working for like a numbskull crew leader who doesn't know anything. (laughs) And the guy's in charge just because he can drive. And so we're able to take these people who are great uh, workers, um, put them on a bike and pay them almost the same rate as a, as a, as a crew leader. And in, in the long run, we kind of want to Uberize it so that people can come in and it kind of makes it an interesting business model. Well, so how many bikes do you have in your fleet, in your company? <laughs> um, so right now we have 12. Um, I love it. It, it is how, a harder, sorry. And how big is your service area? Like how far each bike is a bike going per day? They're going about six to seven kilometers uh, on their route. So that's about two to three miles, I'd say. Um, some are a bit longer, some are shorter. Um, but we do, we basically service areas where we have high, high density with our bikes. Exactly. So you've built out the route density. It already exists, your existing client base. You've looked at it from like a mapping perspective of what would be more efficient sending this out in a truck or on a bicycle. Um, Let's talk just briefly about how you outfit them. So you've got a trailer, you've got like for our long. So yeah, so we have a trailer um, in the, yeah. So in the trailer, we put a 21 inch lawnmower, a string trimmer, edger blower, repair kit. um, And then we pull that with an electric bicycle. And then also this year, um, we've been experimenting heavily in electric equipment. So we've also been sending them out with all the batteries and stuff instead of gasoline. So we finally got a really kind of like environmentally friendly solution. I love it. Okay. And um, I just have to ask, because I'm sure there, but does this look like 
kind of a beat up bicycle with a beat up trailer that's got some equipment kind of like falling out behind you? Or is this on brand on point with everything else in your company? Like I'm picturing the time. it's a purple bike or a green bike or tell me uh, the trailer has branding on it. Yeah, it's all branded up. And most of the time it looks really good. But again, just be honest for everybody. Like sometimes you see stuff and you're like, how did someone let this leave the yard? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we call it a service center actually. So how did someone let this leave the service center? Um, but that's like continual disappointment in owning equipment um, is uh, is when you, it never looks as good as the day you bought it. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And then I think because we just have to sneak in a little bit of money about this. Uh, gas costs, there are none, right? Zero. Unless you're <laughs> um, sending them with a gas mower, but otherwise zero. Yeah. And then you talked a little bit about employee happiness, which we're going to skirt because Martha is ex- very excited about the couple of employment <laughs> things you've mentioned. But so that's like an extra benefit. Um, how do your customers like it? Do you think they think it's awesome? Yeah, they love it. And, you know, obviously it stands out. But the really nice thing and the thing that really kind of gets me jazzed as a business owner these days is that we're actually doing a lot of things to kind of improve our environmental footprint. But we're not doing we're almost doing it because it makes economic sense. And so things like this, we're being a lot more environmentally friendly, but at the same time, we're not charging our customers more. And we do the same thing in the winter time where we've, we're kind of swapping away from salt to liquids. And you know, it's, it's just a way better and more environmentally friendly solution, but it's also costing us less money to operate and we're becoming more efficient. So yeah, that's kind of, if you're looking for some numbers, that's, that's kind of the direction it is. So we don't charge more because we sent a bike cart there. The customers like it. It stands out better. Also, being in an urban center, we average. We used to average like five or six hundred dollars a year just in parking tickets on a vehicle. Wow. Um, wow. So we're not getting parking <laughs> ticket. We're not paying insurance. You know, we pay almost I think three hundred fifty dollars a month per vehicle we have on the road in Toronto because insurance rates are crazy here. So we're we're kind of eliminating a lot of these costs and simplifying it. Um, and yeah, so it's been a good kind of financial play on that side as well. Fantastic. And one person cruise, one person cruise are a win too. Yeah, general. I mean, it's a built-in system for one person cruise and you're setting them up for success. Uh, my only very kind constructive criticism <laughs> is I, in my community, you should have environmental friendly and all of these green things you're doing all over your website. Um, I feel like they were kind of tucked in there in pockets and I would love to see you be loud and proud about how you are saving the (laughs) environment and changing an entire industry. I mean, you're really disrupting it in a really inspiring way. So thank you for sharing with us today. And um, that that was fun. And next time we'll talk about profitability of uh, snow removal, because I know we have several lawn care listeners who have started to add that. Um, as things get colder, go ahead. Yeah. One tip, <laughs> just one tip for, uh, if you're doing residential snow removal is tear it because everybody, well, a lot of people want you there right away when it snows. I got really tired of residential snow removal about five years ago. I said, fine, if we're going to do this and we're, you know, we do it right. We're going to charge for it. And so we took like our base price and sorry, I know you got other stuff, but this could be really helpful for people. We took our base price. We turned that into the regular package. And then we tiered it up. So we offered a free hour response, eight hour response, and a 12 hour, what we call plow me last response. So that we can charge based on when they want us there. And so it's really kind of a bit of a profit multiplier because it's really, you're just making what I call scheduling profit. So you move someone to the top of the route, but they're paying twice the price for the season. 
Well, I think that is the perfect transition, transition because I'm like, you need an epic system to be able to actually support that. Yeah. So I'm going to pass you to Michelle and she's going to talk to you about how you've built awesome. that epic system. I, I'm obsessed with that. I, we used to answer phones for a folks in New Jersey and they did snow removal and they did something very similar. It was like a customers, B customers, C customers. They didn't say, you know, mow me last. So I love that idea. Um, dive into that just a little bit deeper and tell me, do you send out like different pieces of equipment to those top tier customers? Is there a different, you know, tell me how that system actually got built out and how you came up with that other than just needing to make more money. <laughs> um, it wasn't needing to make more money. It was more like wanting a segment because we wanted to have the people yeah. that didn't care about yeah. their service level, being able to put them towards the end um, instead of having them towards the front and being able to kind of segment but also on the winner side, our commercial is kind of a lot more, it's a lot more dollars and a lot more profitable, even more so than the residential side, uh, just from a CVP um, area. Uh -huh. But uh, it, it's not necessarily the most operationally more efficient, but we can kind of handle that because we have such high density. So yes, well, sometimes we have people that game the system, so the free neighbors will sign up, <laughs> and we'll, they'll have two that sign up on 12-hour packages, and then the third is on, like, the free-hour priority. But we'll actually oh. send a different crew that's maybe going to do a commercial site buy just to do that one. So it's, oh, really, it's really about where they stack up on the route and where we put them in the system. But in about a month from now, it is kind of crazy when we go to actually create routes. <laughs> I can imagine. I loved how you called your shop. A service center. It to me that means that you're probably highly organized, and your shop is really cool and looks really awesome and is clean and got labels and everything. Explain to us why you changed the name and tell me kind of what systems you're doing to keep your shop organized because you've got a lot of stuff. You've got snow removal equipment, all of the <laughs> lawn care stuff, the bikes. You've got trucks. You've got car. You got it all right. Tell me what systems you use in that sort of environment to keep it all organized and orderly. Cause I know some people are probably excited about that thing. <laughs> and it's process, not perfection. And I feel that sometimes I go to do shop tours. And I'm like, wow, these people are so much further ahead than ourselves. The reason we call it service center <laughs> is because we want to have multiple. So we have, um, we have a main service center and then we have a West end. Uh, it's not quite a service center yet because there's no indoor facility there but we need to be able to dispatch our crews from the most efficient spots possible. So at our service center, we're actually just in the process of building it out this season. So we put up uh, to us large, which is a 2,400 square foot um, steel building. Um, mm -hmm. And then we've also, uh, we, we've got a lot of sea cans with roll up doors on them. And the idea oh, being that okay. at the end of the day, the bike cart just rolls right in or a truck crew, they can unload everything right into kind of their own designated um, storage container almost. So they just back right up to it, unload, it all goes in there. And then in terms of labeling all that stuff, or as we kind of like to say it, like Kaizening, we're really trying to Kaizen everything. So where everything has a place, um, okay. still work in progress, not there, but that's definitely kind of the uh, trajectory we're on. But we're very, um, we pay a lot of money for real, real estate in Toronto. Um, like our service center probably costs us almost eleven, twelve thousand dollars a month, which wow. is, in my opinion, a lot of money. Um, uh, especially when I'm talking to people down in the U.S. and I've got other friends. So we're literally using every square foot. We're double stacking sea containers. Um, 
We're putting things on top of a double stack C container. So we're talking putting our salters like high up in the air. It's it's kind of crazy, but it works. Wow. And so Kaizen, for those who don't know it, uh, tell the listeners exactly what that is. Because I, I know it. It's kind of, you know, pushing forward and continuously improving things, right? So explain kind of how you use that methodology, because I, I think that's super interesting. From a design you, perspective, I love that word. <laughs> and can you spell it for the ignorant note taker over here? I just did oh, okay. three things and I was like, I can't find it. Z-E-N. Yeah, it's okay. No, I, Good. <laughs> Yeah, so a uh, good book I listened to a couple of years ago was the Toyota Way. And so I kind of picked up pieces from that. And also my operations manager used to work at Bentley um, as an engineer. So he's kind of familiar with this, this process in the auto world where you're doing continuous improvement. Um, for us, when we say Kaizen, it's kind of this idea that everything has a place. And so I'm not sure if a good example of this for people that don't know what Kaizen would be is when you buy a box of sockets or wrenches and everything has like an, each one has like a nice little place in the mold. And so when you're looking at, um, you know, if you had them all sitting in a box unorganized, you wouldn't know that something's missing. But when you have everything mm -hmm. kind of all lined, lined up and in a certain place, you can visually notice that it's not missing or you can yeah. see if it's there or not. And so it's efficient. You're able to find it right away. You're not wasting time looking. That's huge. I love it. I'm obsessed because I was a designer many, many years ago. And I know that we talked about that book a long time ago. So I'm, I, I like your it. bookshelf behind you. Yeah. Very nice yes. yes. I got a bunch of junk back there. All kinds of good junk, but I like your wall too, Megan. Everybody has a nice <laughs> yeah. wall except me. I just, Megan's I just got, got the wall. Toyota way thanks to West Bloom. And um, so I was trying to see if I could grab it, but it's, it's somewhere. It's not organized yet. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. One last question on systems, um, because it's interesting, you have such a seasonality in your business, but I'm sure at sometimes they overlap, right? When that pinch comes and you're wrapping up all the summer slash fall stuff and winter starts to happen, how do you organize all of that data and communication to your team? Do you have graphics or binders or how do you kind of get people shifting their mindset from the summer to the winter because i'm sure it's just so a big process to change it's a it's a major hurdle um yeah. you're, you're not wrong in imagining that um really we get better at every year so right now we're already starting to get people at transition so it's not like all of a sudden we're going full landscape maintenance till you know the end of december sure. and december 1st we're switching over into snow um, we've got one more week of landscape enhancements and then we're starting to have those crews, they transition over in a snow prep. And so even before snow season starts, they're getting ready. Um, because we have, you know, I think we mapped it out. We have almost eight or 900 labor hours of just kind of yard prep stuff to get ready for winter, wow. bring down salt bins, recleaning salt bins, getting salt bins out. Um, we've just got a lot of stuff. And then um, so we're doing that. And then we're also transitioning manage, you know, a couple of our production managers over to that. And so it's really just a process where at least for this winter, the way we're doing it is we're kind of walking into it slowly where we're shifting some resources over to snow early instead of just having like a hard stop and stop and end. But we've been fortunate to that. hire a lot of great people this year and the, uh, at least on the management side. 
So, and I was in a room of very smart business owners this past week, and they said, "Who, not how?" And that was one of the biggest takeaways for me. Is it's all about getting that right person to help you with that transition or with that changeover. And if you've got the right people, it makes it so much easier. So awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. What a nice time. I'm going to pass you over to Martha and she's going to talk to you about people. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, when I was listening, mainly when you were talking to Megan, you really have your employee avatar dialed in from what I can tell. So you're thinking about what what I call is what do they want and what do I need? So, you know, your four, four day work week that you designed for your employees, what do they want? But then you found what I need is for them to be reliable on that fifth flex day. So um, talk to me about, some of the things that you have shifted over time and designing that very desirable place to work. And now we, it's all relative because yes, they are mowing lawns and they are uh, plowing, but it, you've really worked hard to make it a good place to work. I know that. And so share that, how that's evolved. Well, I really think we're on the verge of a blue collar revolution here. You know, there's so it's so hard to feel uh, to fill any type of field production jobs because, admittedly, um, maybe besides myself, because I started at a young age, nobody really grows up dreaming to cut grass or plow snow. You know, they're dream they're growing up dreaming to become fire like yeah, go ask like a five year old kid like what do you want to be when you're older? Oh, I want to be a firefighter or a policeman, and so. I don't want to say people are settling when they come to this, but they're not aware of this opportunity that's out there. And so it's really about, and, and we're kind of fortunate in that we have a year round employment. Um, I know some companies that kind of start up, shut down, and it's very seasonal. Um, so we're really able to paint like a you know full year round picture. And really at the core of it is really just taking care of people. Um, you know, in Canada, as you probably, Yes, like we already have healthcare, all that type of stuff. But like, where can you guys go above and beyond for that? And really, it's kind of just just listening. So you know, for example, um, we just have uh, we just had an employee last week who we helped get like their permanent residency in Canada. You know, so we were able to help them with that. Um, maybe a more general benefit is we offer people you know paid sick days. So we kind of just try to do these things that that stand out for our seasonal employees in the winter time. You know, it's also just listening. So one of the biggest in, in the past, we would offer like a $500 safety bonus. You know, we always hit stuff, break stuff when you're falling snow. Damages are about one to 2% of our winter budget. So if we do a million dollars in snow, we're planning to break like $20,000 worth of stuff. And so we kind of have like a group safety bonus on that. It always ends up being a little sad because we always end up winding it back. It always ends up being around $300 no matter what. And so we decided this year, you know what, let's scrap that part of it. And, you know, this year, um, I, I, and I learned this idea from someone else in kind of the service autopilot world down in Arizona, but we're actually going to be Ubering our staff to work in snowstorms because people find it hard to get to work, you know, in the middle of the night because public transportation's not running, it's not as great. And so we're now giving people a $300 Uber credit 
and we can administer all that through Uber business. Um, but really it's just kind of listening, kind of figuring out where the problems are. I think you mentioned it and I, it's funny, someone actually handed me back the book, but like the dream manager, you know, you're just kind of listening and figuring out what do people want and what do they need? Um, and kind of just trying to innovate based off that. So sorry for that ramble, but. No, no, I love it. <laughs> and I think that's a simple concept, but I don't think that very many people do it. I think that we as owners tend to kind of poo poo what our employees say and what their ideas are and, you know, discount it. And I love how you're saying just listen. And I know I've mentioned a few times that I had one employee in particular and she was not my best employee, but she fed me a lot of ideas and, you know, she would speak up and say, well, I wish you'd do this and I wish you'd do that. And, you know, like I say, she wasn't my best employee. So I could have been like, uh, you know, I don't really like you and I don't really, you know, I could have been like that, but I would step back and think, you know, I think, everybody wants that. Let me ask. And uh, so I think listening is so powerful. And the fact that you actually do listen and then pivot on what they say, that's awesome. That's really, that's really great. And I love too, how you had that, like that safety bonus and then you found that it was a little demotivating when you had to cut back on it. And then it, the it wasn't like this positive rah-rah thing. You made it. And now it was like a uh, consolation prize kind of thing. And and so you, you pivoted. So that's awesome. I really love it. And I love that that's the second time you've mentioned pivoting. Like, not to hijack Martha's time, but I love that this is not a perfect system. And as an employer and as a leader, you are constantly evolving and you're taking that feedback and changing. So thank you for being honest about that. I think that's really helpful for us and our listeners to hear is that it's it's, it's one of our values, actually. So it's uh, being able to adjust and pivot is when we did up our values, we finally wrote them down like two years ago. Like I'll tell you, we didn't include honesty or tape, what we call table stake stuff on there. And that's kind of like one of them that's very unique to us is we're always like adapting, pivoting. Cause I don't know, I used to have this analogy that being a business owner is like being punched in the face every day. And it's not always like that, and it, like, but it sometimes feels like that. And you always have to be kind of adjusting, right? You gotta be like, you're getting mm -hmm. that punch from the right and the punch from the left. Uh, and you have to be able to pivot <laughs> and adjust because there's all these forces and you have to, you know, at the end of the day, my business stopped being about me like a long time ago, you know, <laughs> uh, like I've got almost in the summertime, we're almost at 35 people and wintertime we flex up, we're going to be over hundred this winter. You know, there's a lot more people in there that you have to be responsible for and you got to be able to pivot and flex as an organization. So yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Hmm. And I've only been around Chris a handful of times, but I have been around you enough to know that that's what, you know, that's really why I asked you on this show is because I knew that your, 
always constantly trying to innovate and think of a better way to do it and not just what other people have done and go, oh, well, they're doing that. So let's try that. You know, you're not afraid to be like, well, why can't we try this? And, you know, if it doesn't work, okay, we adjust. <laughs> and uh, that's really, I, I love that type of thinking. And, you know, you're not just doing it for, well, I guess when you do it with your people, it is for economic sense as well, but you're doing it in every area. And I love that. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely fun. I had a production manager, one of our production managers went on vacation for two weeks and they came back and they're like, holy crap, so much stuff changes just in two weeks. <laughs> they walk into the service center, we've hired a mechanic. They're like, who are you? They're like, didn't you read your emails? We hired a mechanic. Uh, we changed his process while you were gone. I love yeah. it. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well now is our homework portion of uh, the live. And what we do, Chris, is each one of us assigns some homework, but we do not want our listeners to do all four or five things because you don't have to give homework. Um, but we want our listener to do one thing. And then by doing one thing a week, moving your business forward. So listeners, whatever resonated with you and you need to work on, then that's that one thing. And I'm going to pass it back to Tay, who will go through and assign some homework. Absolutely. So thank you for kind of running through the rules of homework there, Martha. Um, and Chris, you're fully open, like Martha said, if you want to assign homework at the end, we'll kind of go around like we did before, and then we'll have you go right at the end after Martha. So marketing homework, I, I'm going to give you two options. So option one is going to be more marketing. Option two is going to be a little bit more sales related because we really don't give too much sales homework. So we're going to kind of do two options for marketing kind of based upon what Chris chatted about with me today. And first option is, you know, what is your story? Where did you start from? And what does your story look like moving forward? And how can you incorporate that into your marketing to be able to show your customers your story, who you are and where you've come from and where you plan on going? So that's going to be your marketing if you so choose. Um, sales related is if you are like Chris, where you do have different seasons and you have different services for said seasons, I want you to take a look at your current client list for season A, which may be summer, and see how you can incorporate them into season B, which most likely is winter, and how you can kind of upgrade them and move them through the seasons with you. So that way now you're generating more sales for your company through both seasons of the business and having more value brought to your customers because you're able to cover more services for them. Sorry, that was really long-winded. I know Megan's still typing. So. <laughs> Man, this is like the best typing exercise of the week, Chris. I'm, I'm the note taker, so I'm not multitasking or working. You guys are so organized. I, I'm just I, trying to hit like 
for our listeners, sometimes they just want to skip ahead to Tay's marketing homework or something. So we try and make it easy for them. Um, okay. From a finance perspective, I'm going to step on Tay's toes this week, and we're going to talk a little bit about branding. Um, I would like our listeners to think about their image, about their brand. Uh, if you have been following Fight Club for a while, you know my husband and I have been rebranding for what feels like 16 years. No, <laughs> it's more like five months, but it's been a really painful five months. And uh, so if you're a listener, I want you to think about like, what is the image that you evoke? What is the feeling that your customers get when they see you show up to a job? And I kind of want you to think about what you're driving. So we don't talk about that very often, but maybe it doesn't have to be a truck. I love that Chris kind of thought outside the box and maybe it's not a bike. Maybe you're going to tell me there's no way I service a hundred miles. It can't be a bike, but could it be like a little Fiat or could it be like a little Volkswagen bug? Could it be um, one of those little smart cars? Like, is there something that you could do that would change the image and the feeling that your company gives when they show up to your client's house? Um, I think that's something that I'm most excited about with our rebranding is those feelings are going to be improved and elevated when we finish our grown-up rebranding package. So um, <laughs> that is your money homework, which I know doesn't sound like money, but I think Chris would tell you, and I'm hoping to tell you in six months, that uh, the price tag that you're able to get for your services is going to be higher because of that feeling, because your clients are going to trust you based on how you look. So I, I want to challenge you to look at it, question it, and think outside the box when it comes to the image you present when you show up to a client's house. And I just uh, just add something quickly there. Um, if you are, I know branding and identity is a lot more than just like the colors you're wearing. I would push everybody if you're considering like a rebrand, like pick a color that not like something that's going to stand out. Doesn't have to be purple, doesn't have to be pink, but maybe do like orange, like something that nobody else is using because you want to stand out and build that that mental resonance with people. When people see like there's only one other company, period. They're like a organic earth company or organic uh, vegetable company in Toronto. They deliver vegetables. They have purple vehicles. So <laughs> I, when I see a purple truck, it's either a Mr. Modal truck or it's one of theirs. But it resonates in your mind. And I think that I'd encourage everybody to do that. And also when you have like very good branding, we often go in and people are like, oh, is this, are you guys like a franchise? Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it projects a really big image which is right. sometimes helpful if you're going after maybe non-residential clients. I need to hear that this morning, Chris, because I think we're going orange and I'm not thrilled about it, but I really need orange to Orange is great. Nice. Yeah. Orange is great. I think it's great. And because we're blue, Chris, you like, you called me out. Like, yeah, we're just like every other, we sat at a table and, uh, they weren't even the same industry. Everybody was blue. And I was like, oh man, we gotta be different. All right, please. It's yeah. safe. Mm. <laughs> Marvin is uh, one of the best at the brand yeah, bright green. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Salcedo green is uh, yeah. yeah, it's called Salcedo yeah. green. <laughs> okay, for your systems homework, there's a ton of information out there about the Kaizen method, but I want to follow in Megan's footsteps and read the Toyota way. So I'm going to put the link to that book. It's not a business book, but it's really a management and theory book. So I think it's kind of cool that we're going to throw one at you that's a little bit different this week and um, look at that and see how you can implement some of those things into your business. That could be a nice third quarter project to read the Toyota way. Awesome. Yeah. And I could throw in the dream manager for your homework, but oh, you could, <laughs> I could, 
<laughs> but I have used that before. And really what I want to hit on is um, the listening to your employees. So what I would like you to do is think about the problems that present themselves frequently with your employees. So, for example, Chris mentioned in the winter getting to work was a problem. And so he listened to that and he was able to accommodate that problem and, you know, provide $300 of Uber credits to help their employees solve that problem. So that's just one example of listening to what's hard for employees and how you as a business owner can help solve that problem. And believe me, you know, it causes stress for you, but it causes stress for them too. So it really is um, a kind thing to do for your employees is to listen and to see how you can help solve that problem. That's your homework. And Chris, if you have homework, give it to him. Oh, I couldn't do that to people. I was uh, one of those people growing up that didn't do their homework a lot. Uh, so I might feel right doing that. But as business owners, we can kind of do as much or as little as we want in some of those areas. I think that's all good stuff that you guys brought up. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's, I don't, right. I don't really have anything else to add to, to, what, to the homework you guys has dished out. So what I heard you say, Chris, was just do one of the homework things. I think that's just what I heard. Something. Right? Like just do yeah. something to I mean, I love yeah. that the core value of yours is to constantly be evolving and changing and adjusting. And Martha, you had a really good word for it. And you said he was um, improving, I think. So uh, I think that's the goal of the homework. And that's what makes our podcast different than most is we don't want to be consuming information. It's really easy to do that as entrepreneurs is to be constantly consuming new information. And we want you to be executing and implementing because at the end of the day, we want you to better your business so that it's easier to fight for it. That's the goal. Awesome. Well, I think it's time for a quote. It is. It's time for quote of the day. I'm sorry. I had it pulled up and I got sidetracked. You know me. Everybody knows. <laughs> so the quote of the day, which I think is perfect, because not only did we talk about organizing, we talked about people and we even talked about cars somehow today. Um, but today is coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. But working together is success by Henry Ford. So everybody enjoy the rest of your week out there. And thank you for joining us here on Fight Club. And keep fighting out there. Have Wait, a great week. Thanks, Chris, thing, for having us coming one by. Thing, how do we find Chris if we oh. want to find him? How oh, do our listeners find, find Chris? Chris? Yeah. We will put his website up, but it is moitall.com. And they can probably reach out to him there and check out all of his awesome stuff on his website while they're there. Or if you guys are on LinkedIn, I'm also... Yeah. Um, most I, I, I've limited my social networks down to Instagram and LinkedIn. So you can find <laughs> me there. Okay, Perfect. fantastic. Fantastic. Right. We'll connect with you too. Thanks, everybody. Have a super day. How's it going, guys? Keep fighting. Okay, bye. Awesome. Connect with Fight Club for Business. Join our Facebook group where we have weekly homework, accountabilities, and an awesome community to help you fight for your business. Facebook.com slash Fight Club for, as in the number four, business. Fight Club for Business.